Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. We've tempted fate. We ran our mouths way too much last episode talking about please, you know, announce the coach before we go into this long holiday weekend, before we get into like the official draft preview episode, which is one of our biggest takes us literal weeks of research, if not months. It's a very specific topic for that episode. So how much space is there for other stuff? But if you announce a coach, you got to make the space. Anyways, it's this horrifying mishmash. We're all just kind of shaking with anxiety. We did a prayer circle, did some dances. I begged, but here we are Wednesday night. No coach announced for the Detroit Red Wings going into uh, a f- Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all without a podcast because we have to. We have to Canadian record. long weekend. We have to, yeah, we have to record on a delay, which means, uh, sorry. We have to record a day later than we usually do. So Monday will be the draft preview episode. And if you're telling me in that window, Steve Eisman's not going to hire the the new head coach of the Detroit Red Wings. This is the first time where I would bet on Steve Eisman doing something. Steve Eisman took Nazem Kadri's quote and applied it directly to you. Kiss my ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> to all you podcasters who thought I was a liability <laughs> in terms of when I announce big news, kiss my ass. That's what he said. Here we are. Uh, this is our last non, you know, draft preview or draft recap episode. Yep. We've got Monday the full draft preview and then the wednesday night last minute final mock draft final mock draft and then thursday's the show yep we're and officially in the off season now well i mean in terms of hockey oh in, in terms of off- hockey yeah, yeah, yeah. In the off season the stanley we're, cup's over we're red wings fans we've been in this mode for a couple months that is now. true that is- in terms of the podcast this is like the peak yeah we're about halfway there <laughs> almost literally <laughs> Can you all tell, all the listeners, can you tell how, like, tuned up we are waiting for this to come? And then you just add the giant, thick, baked-on layer of there's a coaching announcement to come. And you have no control over when that happens. Schedule all you want, you fools. I can't wait for it to be a coach none of us has ever heard of and we've done no research on. By the law of averages. We'll have an extra day to learn. Certainly. It's going to be some senior A coach out of Saskatchewan that nobody's ever heard of. Well, there's some coaching news to talk about, so why don't we intro the podcast? Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings, NHL hockey, and our general uh, excitement and anxiety about the days and weeks to come. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we will be talking about the limited news that has made it out of the Eisman and Red Wings camp about who they might hire as their next head coach as... um, the Lalonde name has stayed atop the list of likely candidates. Uh, there are some other minor updates regarding Red Wings. Uh, Sebastian Cosa is out of the Memorial Cup, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But really what we're going to be talking about this episode is draft, draft prospects. And we're going to be circling back for a major profile on one more prospect who we think is uh, – a potential likely pick, but also one of our favorite picks at that spot, or at least one of the most notable in our minds. 
we'll be talking about Bob McKenzie's final draft rankings, which are not just his opinion. They're a an amalgamation of his sources, which are among the best, if not the best in hockey, um, and a, the clearest indication of what is going to happen actually truly in the NHL, because it's what those scouts and draft teams think. We'll talk about the Stanley Cup finals being over, the Colorado Avalanche, uh, led by Darren Helm, <laughs> uh, when the Stanley Cup, the Hockey Hall of Fame uh, induction uh, class, and a major trade that happened just actually before we started recording. So uh, before that, I want to call out, as always, the Jamie Daniels Foundation is an organization we're very, very proud to partner with. Uh, you all have helped us raise over $31,000 for the Jamie Daniels Foundation through the Wings Money on the Board campaign, which we started and ran uh, with our uh, partner, in crime, Prashanth Iyer. So thank you all so much for that. Visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org to find out more about uh, the incredible work that they do and how you can support. Okay, Derek Lalonde. Uh, Kevin Weeks uh, reported that he was spotted in Detroit uh, as part of Steve Eisman's head coaching search. So obviously meeting with the team. Now, this we, Are we sure that's why he was there? Like the Coney dogs are pretty good. The Coney dogs are great. Mexican food's great. The Greek food's great. Maybe he was there to see the uh, Unrivaled documentary. Could be. Can't rule anything out. So aside from the fact that, you know, it's another, um, he fits the bill, bald head coach. <laughs> hey, someday I'll be qualified. That's right. <laughs> I, I got that joke in before Evan could. I could see it. Well, I can see him winding up for that one. <laughs> <laughs> So the the question when the Stanley Cup finals ended, and we'll talk about the the cup being awarded itself later on, but when the finals ended, what did Red Wings fans think first? Well, now Derek Lalonde, Jeff Halpern, and anyone else in that organization who was tied off from interviewing, potentially, it's the countdown is on. There are conflicting opinions on whether there were preliminary meetings between Eisman and those candidates before, during the playoffs at some point, if they had a break anywhere in there. Um, or if he was waiting and I've seen people suggest both now, initially when, when it was noted that Derek Lalonde was spotted in Detroit, a lot of folks thought, well, Hey, that's his interview. He was in Detroit to meet with Eisman, but not necessarily. Right. Remember that Eisman was in Tampa Bay for the NHL awards. Yeah. He's there to support cider and he was there with Illich and Larkin and, and that's wonderful, but he's a pretty efficient guy. Who's to say there wasn't a very quick meeting. Other than that, could have been a quick one. Tampa was in the middle of the finals. Then if we're going on pure speculation, my guess would have actually been after round two, because Tampa did have that long layoff after sweeping Florida. So they definitely, if granted permission, would have had time then to conduct interviews with those two if they so chose. Right. But you could all Tampa could have also nixed it been like, hey, listen, we're all for these guys getting head coaching jobs, but let's maybe wait till the most important part of our season's over. Yeah. And it could go either way. This could be just a first meeting. There could have been 20 candidates coming in and out of Detroit, and Lowland was just the one that was spotted. And these could be the interviews, and Iserman might can finish the interviews and go, you know what, uh, we liked one of the guys we interviewed a month ago better. Or for all we know, that was the contract being signed. Also possible. So even the most connected hockey insiders right now are guessing. And there, there were some really great points being made, right? Like AHL finals just wrapped up. The Memorial Cup's just wrapping up. There's a lot of hockey and a lot of people whose time is becoming a lot more free now so uh, where we're at in this process really just depends on how wide of a net eisman is casting in addition to the very wide net we know 
he is. Let's just recap why Lalonde, and then by virtue, I think if we're talking Lalonde, we also have to talk Halpern, why they would be more likely than maybe other candidates. Uh, To sum it up very simply, familiarity and coming from a program of success. Now, whether or not Lalonde and Halpern would run a team like John Cooper did, we don't know, but John Cooper's an excellent coach, so if you're coaching under him for a bunch of years, you probably pick up a lot of good habits, a lot of good tactics, a lot of good, you know, coaching tendencies. Eisman, obviously, with all the familiarity he has with Tampa, you know, comes from a point of comfort. I don't I don't know if comfort's the right word, but I think he's used that word before. Yeah. So we'll we'll run with it. And um it gives him a little more peace of mind, I'll say. But yeah, those would be the two things because again, these are two guys who don't have extension, extensive, if any, head coaching experience. So who knows what you're actually getting out of them? That's what the interview process is for. But I understand it if that's the way Stevie goes. He did mention when he said he likes to hire people he's familiar with, but he also knows, and he said himself, he's trying to correct for that, right? Like he's trying to make sure that he has as wide of an option as possible. He hired John Cooper, and John Cooper got a long leash, and he was able to work through kind of the paces of becoming a head coach uh, and a head coach of a Stanley Cup contender, and that was ugly at points. Like That sweep at the hands of Columbus, a lot of people thought that was it. And the year after, obviously, we know what happened, but if that didn't work out, maybe that would have been it for John Cooper, but he was given opportunities to improve. Bednar in Colorado, same thing, right? Like that's... It's a notable story there. Yeah, Steve Eisenman knows that he's going to have to bring in a coach and closely monitor because Detroit is, in, is still in a transitionary phase. But I think it's the easiest conclusion to make to say he doesn't want to hire a coach just to have to do it again in two, three years. Like you want a guy who can grow with the team and be ready when they're ready. That is a big testament to guys who have been involved with championship winning teams and that doesn't only mean tampa bay but championship winning at the nhl level is a pretty limited pool so that makes that means lalonde and that means halpern and depending on how much you want to extend it grew down in syracuse as well so i always say we'll see what comes (laughs) if we make it out on the other side of this long weekend and we don't have that news we're all going to buy lottery tickets together and then evan i don't know you can just get another set of golf clubs i don't know what you do oh okay <laughs> oh there's evan <laughs> there we go i can do that all right sebastian cosa edmonton oil kings out of the memorial cup did not make the semifinals technically everybody's out it ended 10 minutes ago st john crushed hamilton in the final wow the host i love when a host city wins i think that's so fun it's fun for the fans but it always feels kind of weird you know what hamilton had six win- 16 wins in the playoffs st john had two yeah <laughs> that's all right ham and that like that was so that was surprising because hamilton was a phenomenal team they were a, they lost three games the entire ohl playoffs they swept the first three rounds before going seven with windsor in the final there you go windsor um so the memorial memorial cup is over but sebastian coast and the edmonton oil kings didn't make it to the uh the semifinals it was a uh, not really a notable performance for Kosa. There were moments where he was great, I thought, and he was probably one of the only redeeming players on the Oil Kings. But there were also moments where there was a flurry of goals that got past him. 
I think we were talking before the podcast. The tagline is hyper talented goalie. You can see the athleticism, the refinement. There's still quite a bit of work to be done there. Yeah. Um, we use the term raw with prospects a lot. And obviously being in Ontario, we don't get to watch a lot of WHL hockey. So the Memorial Cup was the first real good look I had at Kosa post-draft because obviously I wasn't doing draft research for him when he was already drafted. And um, boy, does he lose his net a lot. He just, he is everywhere. Very Tim Thomasy. Um, he was, did have one of the higher save percentages in the tournament at 908, but that's more a testament to how the rest of the goalies were performing than him. Junior hockey, baby. Yeah. yeah. Gotta love it. Um, so he, he wasn't bad. Like, don't get me wrong. He was not the reason Edmonton got bounced and he was not a liability out there. You can see, like you mentioned, the flashes of what's going to make him great. But, oh, man, does he still have to iron out a lot of stuff to make it at the next level. So, And that's that was completely fine. That was, yeah, completely yeah. fine. That was a profile of when he was drafted. Yeah. But I think the the conclusion here to draw is there's a lot of work to be done. And it's not to say he can't make leaps and bounds of improvement over a summer or over a season. But for Red Wings fans who are expecting a short-term solution for him, that's i think there needs to be some patience so that calls back to our conversation of him in the ahl and the chl and who knows what uh, what they choose to do maybe putting him in the big leagues or putting him in with uh you know we've taught i think this was off air brad but you talked about more pro level goalie coaches that could be the play but it doesn't seem so nuts to me to send him back now or find a different kind of pipeline for him that eases him into it a little bit more. Yeah, because I don't know the Edmonton Oil Kings roster that well. But generally in the CHL, when a team's that good, they lose a lot of guys the following season because they aged out or they go pro. Um, so the Oil Kings could be awful next year and he gets traded at the deadline to a contender or something like that. So it might not be the worst thing in the world, but I am I am really curious now to see what happens with him because I, I see huge benefits to both sides of this argument. We'll see with it which uh, which direction the Red Wings go. And he's high high draft pick used for him and he's he has to be their future in net. They gave up significant assets to get him. So they're going to be deliberate and they're going to make sure that they don't rush and spoil him because that is a very big risk with goalies. And frankly right now there's what's the rush. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Okay, why don't we jump over to draft now, and uh, let's start by talking about the profile that we're revisiting today. Frank Nazer is a fan favorite for a lot of Red Wings fans in terms of who they want Detroit to select at 8th overall. Center out of the USN TDP, a player who we've covered extensively and talked about a lot. Uh, I've seen up and down people's boards. Really, really interesting. Um and I, I think we're going to see some disparity between what uh, non-NHL scouting teams or non-NHL scouts might think and what the NHL scouting teams might think. And we'll talk about McKenzie's list after. But let's start that revisit of his profile. Brad, take us away. Frank Nazer, the small center who doesn't play like a small center in terms of He is very aggressive with the puck in terms of getting to the middle lanes, has the speed and skill to do it as well. Will that translate against professional athletes, grown men? Well, that's a million dollar question with him in this draft. And that is almost the only question with him because um, on the ice from the looks of it, he's got good compete, 
one of the best skaters, if not the best skater in the draft. He's certainly in the conversation. Great hands, good shot, fantastic playmaker, uh, can put the puck in the net himself. Again, was playing center over notable players on the USNTDP like Cutter Goche. Again, they chose to deploy Nazer as that second line center. Um, did not get the prime opportunities at center because Logan Cooley got them and he still scored at a clip very similar to Logan Cooley. Um, so it's no secret on this podcast. I'm a huge fan of Nazer's game, much like we talked about with Matt Savoy. The only question with Nazer seems to be, is he going to be able to overcome his size at the next level? Now in the NHL these days, that is proving to be very possible time and time again, even likely in most scenarios when you have a player with this level of talent. That all being said, he has not been going up the draft boards this year. There are a handful of scouts and a handful of websites that like him a lot, that so much that they have him in the top five. But he is primarily in the high teens, in the 15 to 19 range on most lists you look at. I think he was at or around 15 on 15, 15 on Bob McKenzie's list. So a lot of people do have some serious questions about whether or not his game will translate to the next level. Very justifiably so. I'm less concerned about that, but I get it. And it is still a minor concern for me. So... If you are confident that a player of his stature can play center in the NHL, he should be a no doubt surefire top 10 pick. But you can't say that for certain, so hence why his draft stock has fallen. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Brad, in terms of the kind of player he is. The speed and the separation he gets are really what drive a lot of his opportunities. And I mean, that bodes well. You can see the Colorado Avalanche just won the Stanley Cup and you can see what speed and talent did for their game. Um, he has some work to do in terms of adding strength for me personally, what I see on the ice, I think the drive and the effort are there. So, you know, a stronger Frank Nazer maintains his speed, even improves it. Even, um, he doesn't play like a perimeter player. So I'm not scared of him just getting pushed to the outside because he's small. I can see him overcoming any concerns of people thinking that he might end up being a winger and potentially project as a center. If he pans out as an NHL player, what I will say, and this isn't universally across the board, what I've heard from some NHL teams, not all, some people don't perceive him as a, you know, balls to the wall, 110% effort all the time on and off the ice kind of guy, which was surprising for me to hear. But I think it's it's worth noting, especially now seeing him at 15 on Bob's list. I'm wondering what the perception of Nazer is um, across different teams in, in different scouting groups. I think there's a big wide disparity in people's perception of him and his game and how applicable it is what this boils down to me is uh, boils down to for me is um, if you believe in frank nazer's game and you believe that he'll pan out at the nhl level you kind of have to believe it in a top seven or eight pick kind of way because then if you don't you're not taking him over casper you're not taking him over obviously cutter goche you're not taking him over maybe even like a geeky right? Who has the size and, and good playmaking ability obviously is the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of skating. I don't know. I'm, I'm a big Nazer fan though. I, I like his game. I think it's not, he doesn't rep- rely solely on speed, his playmaking ability, his, uh, the way he drives the middle really screams to me. This is a guy who, who can play center if he makes it. 
Yeah, I know. I watched a bunch of tape on him today, and I I don't honestly know where I fall in the Frank Nazer debate. Like, like you guys said, the where he is on people's boards is all over the place, and some guys love his game, which is completely fair. And for other reasons, like you guys mentioned, there's t- people that don't, and I think that's also fair. So, I th- like he feels like the most subjective, which is stupid because it's scouting it's all subjective (laughs) Um, but he feels like one of the most subjective players in the draft this year there's guys who are like yep he's he's in this tier he's in the three five range whatever Um, but Frank Nazer's all over the board and I just I don't know where I fall with him because watching his tape I, I thought he's got all the tools and um there wasn't any like his playmaking was probably the one thing that wowed me out of out of everything I watched um but I, I honestly don't know where I fall on, on Frank Nazer. Where I think a lot of teams are going to fall on Frank Nazer might come down to what type of team they want. Yeah. Like you look at teams that have had success in recent years, um, the 2019 Blues come to mind. They were not a fast team. They were big, strong, killed you off the cycle and grinded you to dust in the defensive zone. But then you look at Colorado and Tampa this year. Yeah, the back ends were like that. They were bigger and a little tougher, especially on Tampa side. But they played fast. So if you're if you're looking for that mold, Nazer is going to fit into your system seamlessly. If you're looking to build your team like the Blues, Frank Nazer probably never cracks that roster. So it's it's going to be really interesting because we're going to talk about Bob's list in a bit. But even reading through Bob's list. And I know this applies to every draft, but this one more than ever just seems like it's all over the place in terms of ranges for players because Bob only did this for his top 10 that he listed, but to use 9 and 10 on his list as like examples of what I mean, Matt Savoy was ranked everywhere by these 10 NHL scouts that Bob pulled from 6 to 15. Number 10 on Bob's list was Marco Casper. He was everywhere from 5 to 21. Yeah. So if you think guys who are – people are a little more certain what Savoy and Casper are than Nazer, could you imagine what Nazer's range looks like? Oh, well, that's what I'm saying. I talked to one person. They're like, yeah, his compete is through the roof. This is exactly an Eisenman type. I wouldn't be surprised if Detroit's all over this guy, um, especially if he gets stronger. And the next person went – is that just indicative of a weaker draft class? Could be a weaker dra- draft class. We're still feeling the effects of like a lost year due to COVID. Scouting has suffered. Like th- this is, it could be just maybe a wild year by virtue of the players, right? Like we just on, we'll, <clears throat> we'll get to it, but Slavkovsky overtook Shane Wright as number one on Bob's board. And that's like down to the wire. So, you know, something so fundamental as how hard does this guy try and what kind of character does he bring on and off the ice being having that disparity you prashant has said it and he said it in his his article on on the wind wheel podcast blog this is going to be a wild draft and i think people need to really widen their expectations of a their understanding of these players and b what's actually going to happen there's no outside of i think like the top five it is open season it's not even the top five anymore um, I, I've seen guys all over the place. I've seen Cutter Goche at like four or five. Which is, I think, where he's likely going to go. Goche cracked the top five on Bob's list. And that's the one we thought we knew what the top five would be. And we were wrong. So if I, I'll just add, I also threw on some Cutter Goche highlights. And I actually like his game a lot more than Na- Frank Nazer. 
a lot of people would agree with you. I I think he's one of the closer to being pro ready players. He's got a pro body. And <laughs> <laughs> you really got a kick out of your own joke, there, right? <laughs> yeah, I I really liked his game. Um, I think he's more complete than Frank Nazer and. I've really kind of come. I don't even remember what I said in our revisit of Cutter Goche, but I've really come to like his like him a lot more than what I think I did. This seems to be the most decisive draft in terms of people's opinion on how much size matters. I've noticed it's definitely the size draft because the the really <laughs> big guys like the um, Connor Geekies and um, oh, what's his name Maverick Lamarus of the world. The ranges on them are huge. The five nine guys, the Matt Savoy's, the Frank Nazers, the ranges on those guys are huge. Like it's man, if there's what's the, what are the odds of getting a, a correct NCAA bracket in the March Madness? One in a billion, I, way more than that. I, think. I feel like that's the same odds to nail thirty all thirty two first round picks this I year. Think if you even got the top <laughs> five right, that might be a stroke of genius. Yeah. It's well, okay. Think of what Eisman wants, though. How do you he wants whoever's he's drafting? If he drafts the center, this isn't someone he hopes is a fourth or third line guy. This is going to be a mainstay, potentially number one or two center for a team that he hopes is competing for cups. He's not messing around with this pick if he goes center. So, what kind of center does he want in that spot? Does he want an ultra talented? I hate myself for saying this, but like a Braden point type, because that maybe is what's available. I would like a Braden point type. I would. Yeah. But I mean, easier said than done. Boy, have I got a guy out of the USNTDP for you? Because that's that's a very small window to aim for. That's I don't think it's a small window. It's a porthole in the Death Star, it feels like. Steve Eisenman doesn't tell us anything, but we've now got three drafts under his belt and we can definitely start to see the traits he looks for and the three that seem to be very, very, very common compete speed skill. Everything else is if you're on defense size. Yeah. He, for defense specifically, he does add those plus size, but we, the, the thing is how can you apply to those things to center? Cause he's not drafted a center this high. No. So and does he want a big center? Then we have to go back to Tampa. That's I, th- I think but again, you look at Tampa's forward composition. It's not a big group. It, they are not a tall forward group. They have monsters on defense. Yeah. But again, if you follow trends, look at how Eisenman's drafted in Detroit with Cider, Edvinson. I think Tuomisto was under this, was under him. Um, he was. Booyam. Like these are not small defensemen. So the trends from Tampa have seemingly held up coming to Detroit. So I'm not saying Nazer is a likely pick, but for Eiserman's history as a general manager, he checks the boxes. Okay. He is not someone you can rule out because now again, it only takes one guy to break the mold and, and overcome. Like, for example, I look at Connor geeky. He does not check two of Eiserman's main boxes. So I don't think he's a likely candidate for the Red Wings at eight. But everything is a trend until it isn't, right? So you can't even rule it out. But again, all I'm saying is if Nazer, if Eisman's trends hold, Nazer's a candidate. I'm going to talk about Geeky on the other side of this, but um, I kind of drove the discussion here a little bit. Let's let's double back to um, the center discussion. If Frank Nazer, how do how do you project Frank Nazer in terms of position? Do you think he projects as a center? I think he projects as a center. His game translates well to it. Yeah, he plays good. He plays very strong in his own end as well. 
Um, and I think he's got the hockey IQ to do it. So I would project, I would think he projects as a center, um, just based on that alone. Okay. And where does he ranked on your personal draft boards, either written down or in your heads? Let me reference it. Cause I can't remember to me. He's outside the top 10. Okay. So, okay. Marco Casper, a header behind of frank naser oh now you just uh yeah i'm adding a layer you you just put me in the 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 chokehold sleeper (laughs) um welcome to the show i think to be fully transparent i was not high on marco casper so um he would be behind frank naser so for you is this too is it too much of a stretch to say if cutter goche is not there you're not going for a centerman unless you see matt savoy as a centerman well, this was going to bring up a whole different question that I was going to ask is, do the Red Wings need a playmaking centerman? Desperately. I think, yeah. Really? Desperately. I, the Red Wings can't score goals. So I think they need someone who can be a trigger man at center too. When you look at the Red Wings struggles, particularly on the power play, from the forward position, the only real, I don't know what the word is, facilitator of the puck is Lucas Raymond. And even that's not his like main strength on the power play. So I, at five on five, you look at their centers right now, Larkin, pretty good. He can get the puck around. I don't think that's his biggest strength. I think Larkin's biggest strength is getting the puck to the net, but he's more than capable as a playmaker. Suter, mm, no, not really. Valeno, mm, no, not really. He's getting there, but not really. Okay, go through the system. Look at their centers. Nobody. Niederbach is that type of player, but he's still a long shot just to make it. Yeah, you can't count on that. Like, if I had to isolate what is the Red Wings' biggest hole in their organization, a playmaking center is literally, like, flashing red lights. I will say what Evan said, though, is also not wrong. If they ended up with a, like, trigger man center, that's also fantastic. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, that's 1A, 1B for me. It's fair, but at least when it comes to shooters, they have Vrana. They have a very well-defined shooter. Not at center, but... Well, that's one. That's one. Um, <laughs> Larkin or Bertuzzi do like I, they could be aberrations. They could come back down to earth. We don't know how long term they are for the team, but um, they finished pretty well. Yeah. Lucas Raymond. Lucas Raymond Lucas finished Raymond. well. The Red Wings don't have that traditional sniper outside of Rana, but they have a lot of guys who find a lot of ways to get the puck in the net. The team's problem is getting the puck to those guys more often. Where's he on your rankings? Seven. So that's right in Detroit's range. Right in the wheelhouse. And uh, to answer your other question, Casper is behind. very close behind him. And Gauthier ahead? Behind. Okay. He's literally eight. Okay. So I, I could be talked either way on that one. Your turn. Frank Nazer for me is eight. Then so what are the other two? Gauthier ahead, Casper behind. So the only agreements we had was Casper is behind. Yeah. Offensive upside for me trumps it there. I, I understand yeah. Casper is a very refined game. And is if they brought him in at center, I'd be thrilled because I think that would be a very responsible, complete center. And maybe a guy who has untapped or unseen offensive potential. I know some people have suggested that, but we can see Nazar's offensive potential. And to me, you have to go with the more certainty there. And it's worth repeating. And I know I mentioned this last episode. I always err towards the side of swinging for upside. You can always trade for a third line center at some point. Exactly. Look, you look signed at Suter. It's relevant for saying, um, I was listening to puck soup on the way over here. 
The Avalanche only had six drafted players on their roster for this cup run. That was it. McKinnon, Landeskog, Rantanen, Byram, Newhook, and Makar. Yeah, that's a, t- that's a, that's a pretty crappy list. You, they, they are the poster what child for... insane list. They are the poster child for you need to get an elite core out of your draft, but it is, but you can fill out the rest of that lineup anywhere. Free well, agency, you, trades, whatever. You can find your Nachushkins in free agency. You can find your Arturi Lekkonen's in trade. You can find, you know, your Devontae's hopefully in a absolute fleecing. Oh, but, two uh, second round picks for your top pairing. For, oh, the for other a top half 10 the- defenseman in the league, yeah. But... <sighs> But point being is GM of the year, folks, don't draft a guy because you think he can be a third line center. Don't draft a guy in the first round because you think he can be a second line defenseman. You are drafting guys who are likely going to end up in that range, but have the possibility of being more because if they hit, it solves a huge problem going forward. Yeah. The Red Wings took a swing on a small forward in 2020. He's he was on their first line for 82 games in his first season massive success right they reached for the unknown highly skilled massive defenseman in 2019 who could now he's going to be a perennial norris candidate you need those guys in the draft because you can't acquire those guys and on the flip side of that just and not to this isn't a dispute of brad's point because unfortunately for all of us today he just made an excellent point um philip zadina when they took him philip zadina's upside was through the roof it was first line scoring winger hasn't panned out that way where did he settle third line winger right now and that's that. That's exactly what Brad just said. That's where they're likely to settle. But if they hit, then they're Lucas Raymond's. Because this is the philosophy you have. And to kind of, we've talked about how in a rebuild, you need a billion draft picks because you just need to get lucky on some of the later picks like Elmer Soderblom right now. That's just sheer number of darts at the board. But in the top 10, over a four-year stretch right now, um, the Red Wings took a big swing on Zadina, Sider, Raymond, and Edmondson. If three of those guys who were all projected as high upside guys with some risk, if three of those four hit, nobody's complaining about that. If Zadina flames out, but Edvinson, Sider, and Raymond are all playing like top pair roles, top line minutes. Pretty good record. Holy shit. That's how you complete a rebuild. And if you get your starting goalie out of the first round yeah. as well, that's even, that yeah, can be part a of a core hit, too. I mean, that that's how you turn a team around. If that is the core three of the team going forward and then they get another one this year okay you can go find a third line center no problem you can find a third line winger no problem it's honestly not to demean the job not that hard in in the grand scheme of yeah how you build a team yeah that's the stuff that you can wake up and do the next morning yeah it's not oh trade deadline and all, i don't have anybody to play with joe valeno and michael rasmussen on the third line shit who's bad this year uh montreal Cool, we're taking Josh Anderson for the year. Thanks, guys. Like stuff like that. <laughs> You're gonna have some Montreal listeners who wildly overvalue Josh Anderson. Skewer you for that. Well, ba- based on his contract, so do the Montreal Canadiens. But anyways, <laughs> okay, uh, we're gonna move on to the other side of uh, this draft conversation, which is Mackenzie's draft board. Uh, but before we do that, we first want to mention that this episode of the Wind Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, a sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need: even more excitement in the game. There's so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. There's 
simple to use with great odds on different betting markets, giving you more action every game day. Plus, there are tons of fun with unique bet types like same game parlay and exclusive promos on the biggest events. And when you win, you get your winnings back safely in as little as 24 hours. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back inside credit if you don't win that first bet. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get up to one grand back inside credit. Now what we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today to get started with that risk-free bet of up to $1,000 and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Wing Wheel Podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. Must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. Shane Wright loses his role as the number one ranked prospect on Bob McKenzie's draft board, which, if anything, is the kiss of death for you as a number one overall pick. It's where Bob McKenzie has you on his list. And again, he's got them right in the last 10 years. Some he's he just gets them right. What Bob says is not number one overall is typically what happens. Like actually, like you said, Evan. Didn't wasn't it something like five of ten scouts had Slavkowski first and then four of ten had Shane Wright? And one had Logan Cooley, yep. Interesting. Were you the 10th who put Logan Cooley up there? Absolutely not. <laughs> so, Uri Slavkovsky ranked first overall. And again, folks, this is Bob McKenzie polling scouts, GMs, management, folks involved with the draft decisions from NHL teams. So, they're not his personal rankings. They are a temperature check on the NHL. And knowing how the NHL operates and how hard information is to get consistently... This is our best window. So we go Slavkovsky, Shane Wright second, Logan Cooley third, Simon Nemich fourth, Cutter Goche fifth, Yurichek sixth, Joachim Kemmel seventh, Lakaramaki eighth, and that's Detroit spot, Savoy ninth, Casper tenth, and then you have Korchinski, Minchikov, Geeky, Yurov, Nazer, Lambert, going all the way down to 16. A lot of names we've been talking about. I think some guys in there who, if I had to identify people, and in the draft preview, we'll cover these people, uh, where we need to give maybe a little bit more credit to their potential Red Wings picks. Joachim Kemmel probably needs another look because he is someone who I can absolutely see being pushed down to eight. I think Korchinski, if we're talking about Minchikov, Korchinski, yeah, absolutely. And I genuinely believe, I have this feeling that Geeky, I said it before, big center and if you believe in geeky you believe him in believe in him in a big way right but like i said steve eisman's gonna have to change his trends on two things because geeky isn't fast doesn't play fast and there's a lot of questions about his compete so why don't we talk about the right slavkovsky thing quickly where does that register for you in terms of your perception of those two prospects mm, about the same because even bob himself mentioned if he's pulled 10 more scouts he'd probably bet they would go Five for right, four for Slavkovsky, and one for Cooley. Right. It's a coin toss, essentially, is what he's implying. And that holds up. Wright has a longer track record, uh, the more well-rounded game, and the complications of missing an entire season. Slavkovsky has had the meteoric rise, has the size, has the hallmark points in a season between the Olympics and the World Championships, but a little less of a track record than Wright, although 
Slavkovsky was a highly rated prospect coming into the season. So it's not like he came out of nowhere, but he wasn't in the conversation for first overall at the beginning of the year. So everything tracks with, you know, the debate for both sides of the aisle are lining up there. The late riser who now we're starting to see who he really is versus the guy who, Hey, this guy's always been really good. Are we just overanalyzing this? For me is I I can understand. And I think the way those scouts came in pretty much split down the middle and, like you said, a coin toss. I, I do understand it. Slavkovsky is that dynamic player. And maybe depending on how Montreal wants to build the team, that makes sense. I still personally go Shane Wright. The way I see it now, if the Red Wings or sorry, if, if Shane Wright is bounced, bumped down to pick two, you already had Logan Cooley there as an option. And now if you have the option of Shane Wright or Logan Cooley and, you know, New Jersey advertising that their pick is for sale, Let's put our tinfoil hats on. Let's let's take our crazy ideas out. Not advocating for this. I know a lot of folks are angry about it. Not advocating for it. But is there a bigger conversation to be had no. to trade up to second? No? How much would that cost? A lot. It would cost a lot. And do you... If Do you... Okay. Maybe I'm, I'm a little more bearish on Shane Wright than everybody else. But like... He doesn't wow me. Does he wow you guys? He does in moments. He does some create some things. I'm like, wow, that is a first overall pick. But I would say over entire body of work, I wouldn't say I'm completely wowed by Shane Wright to trade a, the eighth, let's say the eighth Tyler Bertuzzi and something else. I am. I do it. I'll, how about this? I'll start naming assets to add to a theoretical trade. And you tell me when you are out to trade up for Shane Wright. Okay? Oh, I hate this already. Okay. For who? Hey. Sorry. What, so you're the Red Wings. You're trading up to number two oh, for... it's going to be a, a king's ransom. That's what I mean. I'm going to start adding to the ransom piece by piece, and you tell me when you're like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. This is too much. Before we do this, is this Bertuzzi as is or extended? We'll say as is, because it might it might be a last minute. Like, we have to do this at the table because... Yeah. Okay. Eight. Keep going. Bertuzzi. Okay. 40. Berggren. Nah. That's where I think it starts. I think that's yeah. about what the ask would be. Yeah, and you know what? I understand that probably like some people might say, Ryan, that's not even at value for Shane Wright, but I understand what you're saying. The way I view it with that, it, it makes me uncomfortable because I know an extended Bertuzzi is worth so much more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm going to get off my playing devil's advocate thing here is I think you have a point, Evan. The, d- the difference between Shane Wright and a center that you can potentially have in, you know, Cutter Gauthier, Nazer, if you think Savoy is a center, or whoever else. You got you better be damn sure that you're not able to sign Tyler Bertuzzi. I'm sure they've they're not allowed to extend until July 13th. I'll be shocked if they haven't had conversations. Yeah. yeah. To kind of feel where each other's the old, at. The old jet ski crossing each other on the lake, just yeah. a couple nods. Land the planes on the runway, never disembark, so there's no record of you being in the country. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To yeah. me, to me, what this trade up with New Jersey, if Montreal takes Slavkovsky or Cooley, argument comes down to is what is the certainty worth for you? Because I think upside-wise, Wright, Savoy, Nazir, Gauthier, they're in the same ballpark. I still say Wright's is higher, but like I could see Savoy, a, a world where like a Matt Savoy is 95% of what Shane Wright is if they both hit their ceiling. But Shane Wright also comes with the... I'm pretty damn sure his floor is second line center. You know what I mean? Like Matt Savoy might be a second or third line winger. 
Shane Wright's at worst a second line center. And what do the Red Wings really need right now? Another top six center. So he could be your first line center because people are have stopped talking about Shane Wright. Like this guy couldn't be unreal. Yeah, he didn't have the dominant year that we thought he would, but he still had 90-something points in 60-something games as a 17-year-old center after missing an entire season. Didn't play hockey for like, what, 14 to 16 played months? Played one tournament in that time. Yeah. So the ceiling for Shane Wright is still very, very high. But because he didn't dominate, there's questions about how high that ceiling is, and it's perfectly fair. But the floor is also very high on Shane Wright, which it we can't say the same thing for the other centers that are in play for the Red Wings right now. So, like I said, what this comes down to is you're trading up for certainty. Nothing's 100% certain, but essentially. And I don't even think Montreal takes Slavkovsky. They, I, I think they're looking at center all day. And I, I would... I, I always thought if there was any debate, it was between if they go Shane Wright or Logan Cooley because of that NTDP connection with um, their GM. Here, here's the thing, though. Montreal, again, and I'm not saying you have to build a team this way. Their forward group, by and large, is tiny. They are a very small forward group. Like Nick Suzuki is not a big dude. Cole Caulfield is not a big dude. Brad advocating against the short kings? No, I'm saying this is why they could justify Stab the back. <laughs> I'm just saying the Canadians outside of Caulfield lack goal scores and they lack size. Slavkovsky checks both those boxes. And Caulfield's a righty, Slavkovsky's a lefty, which might be relevant to those who want to really needle in on it. Okay, so let's get off the uh, the crazy topic that I brought up and back in the realm of reality. Now I have hope. Screw you. Yeah, well, welcome to knowing me. Just disappointing people. Um, you based on where the players are ranked around the Red Wings, what are your thoughts? And also what do you make of, you know, we've talked a lot about centers, but the players that pick seven and eight are both wingers and Joachim Kemmel and Jonathan LeCaramacchi. What do you make of that? And what do you see that likelihood of being for Detroit? So if we isolate on talent, very, very high on the likelihood scale, because Joachim Kemmel might be the best goal scorer in the draft and Lakaramaki might be the second best. Goche might have something to say about that as well. But I mean, they're both small forwards with unreal shots who find ways to get open and get pucks to the net, which is super valuable traits. As we talked about though, if you're looking from a team building standpoint, these aren't necessarily the types the Red Wings need the most. They need more of them, but not the most. So if Eisenman is a Straight up, best player available type of GM, which is generally the right approach. Yeah, they'd be insane if they weren't in play. My, um, this is not going to answer the question that you posed, but um, my golden outcome would be somebody in the top six. The We'll say the Bob McKenzie top six drops. Slavkovsky, Wright, Cooley, Nemich, Gauthier, Juracek. Juracek is the guy I've kind of earmarked in my in my heart. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I think we're I, we're very much in the same wavelength here. Anyone in there falls, I'm immediately making that pick, obviously. But I really, really like Juracek. I like Juracek a lot. I definitely need to revisit him. So I'll have to rewatch some of his game before... Uh, our emergency podcast. Um, <laughs> Come on, man. Don't put that into the world. <laughs> so, but without going back and revisiting him, I, I feel like that's sort of who I've earmarked at this point. 
But like we've said a thousand times, this top 10 could go a thousand different ways. And there could be guys dropping. There could be two options. There could be a Goche, Yurichek, and a, I don't know, anybody else. Evan definitely has a type. Okay, everyone other than Kemmel is off the board. Or everyone up to and including Kemmel is off the board. So Lekaramaki, Savoy, Kasper, Korchinski, Minchikov, Geeky, Yurov, Nazer, Lambert, etc. Your pick, Brad, is Savoy. Correct. If not Savoy, then... Nazer. If not Nazer, then... Casper. Okay. Evan. I hate to say this, but I would pick Matt Savoy. <sighs> God. He's going to be riding that high for a while. I mean, <laughs> we've seen Matt Savoy play in the flesh. We know what he can do. And this the ceiling is infinite with him i wouldn't be shocked if he ends up being a point per game plus player in the nhl i know we talk about when we're talking about is savoy a center is he a winger it doesn't matter no it doesn't to me either and when we if again we talk about Braden point with every small skilled four but when i watch matt savoy the best comp i can see in the nhl for a player that plays like him is matt barzell yeah yeah, that's actually really good. So they kind of skate the same almost. They really do. And they attack the middle and they like puck possession. They don't mind holding it for extended periods of yeah. times in the offensive zone if nothing presents itself. But when that lane to the middle opens, they will drive it. They will make it while still being primary playmakers. Yeah. They are guys who like to distribute the puck first. But when uh, he's got a really good shot too. Yeah, exactly. So. If you can get a Matt Barzal at eight overall, oh, you do it. Oh, and we didn't even take the chance to dump on the Bruins. Speaking of them, they were the ultimate losers of the playoffs. No, they were. Well, yeah. we're, we're, let's actually use that to transition. Um, next episode. Wait, you didn't say yours. If top six or top eight or whatever we said. So if the top point? six plus Camel are gone. Camel, Camel, Camel. I, I think you might be right. I'm very sadly, I'm very similar to you, Brad. I'm I'm going to say it differently, but it asked me at a different moment and I might align perfectly with you, but I'm going to go Nazar Savoy um, and then one of Casper or Lerkaramaki. But Savoy has just, just as much of a case as Nazar in my mind. So every inch counts. How long were you holding on to that one? Hours. <laughs> Since I mentioned, messaged in the group chat. <laughs> you all need to know that Evan actually had that joke locked and loaded for literal hours. That's yeah. one of the only things I've seen Evan <laughs> plan out in the group chat with us. That was the longest message I've sent in a long time. Including to you. Very long time. To to Kat. Oh, well, our messages are, more, are one line. <laughs> okay. Well, let's switch over to the Stanley Cup Finals. Colorado, uh, as we predicted, we actually got this right. Colorado wrapped it up in six. They won it in Tampa we had Bay. Made that bet. Oh man, <laughs> we'd be on the Scared island. Money don't make money. That's absolutely true. Uh, Tampa Bay uh, loses it at home. Colorado wins it in six. Nathan McKinnon, Kale McCarr, Gabriel Landeskog, Stanley Cup champions for the first time in twenty-one years. Was it? Joe Sackick lifts the cup as a GM. Darren Helm, 14 years after winning it uh, with Detroit in his first season in the NHL. 14 years. 14 years later, lifts it with Colorado. Honestly, I thought it was more. 
when I heard it was only four, it was 14. My first word that popped in my mind was only. Yeah. <laughs> people forget that he won it so early and he was, he, he made an impact immediately with Detroit, like in those playoffs and then had kind of that funny, like up and down for a little bit tenure before he stuck. But yeah, it's been 14 years for Helm. Colorado, just the, like, I'm going to talk about Colorado and I'm going to say that they're the better team and, you know, they went, what was it? 16 and four in the playoffs. This wasn't like a complete dominant series. One or two bounces the other way and Tampa Bay could have made this seven. And then who knows what happens in a free for all last game. Two games were blowouts, one going each way. Beyond that, no team held a two goal lead at any point in that series. Phenomenal, phenomenal hockey. One of the best finals we've been able to watch in a Just long time. Just felt like Tampa Bay with Sorelli being op- very obviously hurt and, and Braden Point being out. Like it was just too big of injuries to overcome. And now that the list has come out and it sounds like everybody's meniscus on that team is. And they're, a, they're going and in, AC joints. Yeah, they're going in for like the the ten for one like bulk deal at with the surgeon. The two two words that were used to describe separate injuries on Tampa Bay was one was significant for yes. Brandon Point in his significant quad tear and mangled. They used the word Ryan McDonough had a mangled finger. Well, Eric Cer- is it Eric Cernak? Yeah, he I think went to the dressing room like eight times in the finals from blocking shots like that guy's got to be completely destroyed do you see the uh, x-ray of val nichushkin's foot and the picture that accompanied it no oh, oh my his bad. toe was snapped in half oh his big toe and the entire side inside of his foot was purple well, i hope he gets drunk enough that he doesn't feel it <laughs> yeah I, I get the impression that they're celebrating post cup celebration he actually hopped on one of the janitor's carts and got had them like push him out of the building <laughs> that's what it takes to win yeah the the tampa bay injuries were especially you're you're right it, losing point and then sorelli it's like at that point you're not surprised to sort of allow it makes it easy i won't say tampa bay is easy to game plan against but it certainly makes it easier when you can just start to earmark their their top line of stamkos kudrov and Pilot. yeah to be fair colorado had a pretty significant injury they had to replace sam gerard with jack johnson which is a not ideal. It helps when Kale McCarr and Devon Taves are playing 59 minutes a night, yes. I thought Bowen Byram was outstanding as well. He was great. I was starting to be very low on Bo- uh, uh <laughs> He's winding up for <laughs> I've learned my lesson. Bowen Byram. Bowen Byram. Zach Wierenski. God, that was like marbles in my mouth. If we ever get a Byron Wierenski pairing, Evan's, I'm so screwed. Evan's staying home. <laughs> and that'll be the team Bruce Boudreaux coaches. I will tell you the one player in this draft that I do not want them to draft is the Del... Luke, does, Luca Del Bell Blues. I will never say that guy's name. I will just call him by his number and that's what it a, because I still cannot say it. What about Rutger McGrordy? Rutger McGrordy. I can say wow. that. He but the one guy it. who's got six last names, I can't do that. <laughs> Mickey... A hundred years from now, hopefully, when you retire, uh, we 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 know who's going to replace you. <laughs> it's gonna be... I'm screwed. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, you were saying about Bowen Byram. I thought he was excellent. Um, I you know you he, he weren't sure what was happening with him and um, concussions and concussions and the mental health stuff he had going on. Um, but I thought he was excellent in the playoffs, and I was very very surprised to see how good he is. Yeah, Kale McCarr unanimous um con Smythe winner as mvp 
that kid, man. Con Smythe, Norris. He might win a heart. I would bet more money that he will than he won't. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, what was it? Who's on the list of people who won the Norris and the Con Smythe in the cup in the same year? I just remember Lidstrom. And Bobby Orr. Bobby Orr. <laughs> there it is. That's it. That's the list. And he's what, 23? 23. <laughs> May as well retire, honestly. Please do. <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> no, he's... He, he's the only thing that might prevent Sider from getting a Norris. He's special. Like, he is special. He's going to dominate trophies for a long time. Honestly, like genuinely the best team in the playoffs won the cup this isn't one of those cups where something wacky happened i i do see like if you play that scenario out a thousand times tampa wins a lot of those cups for sure but colorado had their opportunity and they took it and yeah was it was it close at a lot of different points throughout their their playoffs of course it was i think st louis gave them a couple scares i think tampa gave them a really tough series but all in all they got it done bedner got it done um and they did it with like average at best goaltending often i just th- good, it just had to be good enough to win that's and that's what they got he uh, uh i dare you to make a chris osgood joke here no i will not be making, <laughs> i will not be making a chris osgood joke here um but darcy kemper i mean overall his stats and you look at his overall performance you're like kind of unremarkable if not below average for what you'd expect for a cup winning goalie just have good enough to win game six he made the saves he needed to, to 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 save yeah he you know it's no easy task to look down at the other end and see vasilevsky who's eight feet tall and he's making all these saves and can win it win tampa a game by himself and then you know have to find it within yourself to to out duel him and he did it thoughts on colorado the kind of team that they are fast skilled drunk best team in the league pretty much wire to wire the whole season and they won the cup i mean they beat a heavy tough to play against grind your bones tampa bay lightning not that they're not skilled but when push came to shove and they were down to braden point they leaned on that kind of the game a lot does this change the the mo of what this copycat league is going to do now no because you know what team resembles colorado the most tampa tampa <laughs> Tampa's just everything. Three teams, three cups in a row to very similar teams. If the copycat league is a thing, every team's going to look like this in a couple of years. Simply draft a Kale McCarr. Wasn't that Landeskog? Landeskog said that, yeah. Yeah. Right after Kadri told everybody to kiss his ass. Yeah. You know what's funny about that comment? He's like, for all of you who thought it was a playoff liability, kiss my ass. He actually was until this year. He was a he, massive How liability. could he be a playoff li- liability? He didn't play in them. <laughs> But then kept getting suspended. This year was the inverse. Broke his hand, came back, scored a arguably cup-winning goal, and contributed to a cup-winning team. So what a what a turnaround for him. We got to talk about the two biggest accomplishments of these playoffs, though, because I'm sick of being complimentary of Tampa and Colorado. It it physically pains me. Go for it. Ultimate loser of the playoffs: the Boston Bruins, who lost to the Carolina Hurricanes, who lost to the New York Rangers, who lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Who lost to the Colorado Avalanche. Yep. The ultimate losers of the playoffs. So congrats, Boston. And uh, a truly remarkable feat. Three in a row for Corey Perry. I honestly do feel bad for him. Nah, it's Corey Perry. I don't feel bad for him at all. I've already ordered my world's tiniest violin off Amazon, so it should be here He's won before, so at least he's got that. (laughs) He's got his. Loses the cup with Dallas in 2020, with Montreal in 2021, and then 2022 with Tampa. Is he part of the Triple Gold Club? He is. Okay. Well, he's okay. If he uh, 
if he ever plays for Toronto, I'll laugh my ass off. I think Toronto fans would kill for a cup final loss right now. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, okay. Some other NHL news. There's going to be more to, to come from the cup and the fallout from that. Um, but some more NHL news. Oh, Darren Helm. Right. We talked about it. You know, we made our jokes about Darren Helm. Uh, Red Wings fans everywhere made their jokes about Darren Helm and the other fourth line players and, you know, the age, the guys who are aging out. Jimmy Howard towards the end of his career to a lesser degree, Luke Glendening. But it is really great to see him get a second life on his career playing elsewhere, being a veteran presence. Colorado fans or, or Colorado players actually uh, had only amazing things to say about Darren Helm and what he brought to the locker room. So the fact that he was able to factor into a Stanley Cup win, it, you wish it was another one with Detroit, but it was really nice to see him to re- see him raise it again. Really, really deserves it. Nobody can say anything bad about Darren Helm. No. The Hall of Fame had their most recent uh, induction class and it included both Daniel and Henrik Sedin, Daniel Alfredson, so three Swedes right off the board uh, in the playoff or in the player category, Roberta Luongo in the player category, Rika Salinen, uh, she was inducted in the player category, and Herb Carnegie in the builder category. And Alex McGillney, right? Nope. No Alex, Alex McGillney, right? <laughs> no Alex McGillney. No Zetterberg got in though, right? No Zetterberg. Huh. Okay, here's my thing. Alfie, for me, Hall of Famer. Red Wings legend, but Hall of Famer. Also, what a terrible start to my day when I had to explain to people that it was a joke when I called Daniel Alfredson uh, a Red Wings legend. What, what's the joke? Thank you. Um, <laughs> the Sedins, Hall of Famers, and if you're inducting one, you're inducting both. Yeah. yeah. Completely understand. Lou, Hall of Famer. I understand why Zetterberg didn't make it in this time. Blows my mind that McGillney's still not in. McGillney might go down as the biggest. How in the hell is he still not in in the history? Guy Carbonell's in, but Alex McGillney isn't. Let's talk about Zetterberg for a second. It wasn't ever really a question, but this cements it. He will make it in eventually. Yeah, he's. I don't know if he's got a better case than the Sedins. You could argue it, but I mean, they have heart trophies. They have major awards. Zetterberg has a cup, but then obviously there's the argument about Con Smythe. He's got the Con Smythe. So they both have major hardware. So that's fine. Luongo goalie, but a whole other category. Zetterberg has a better case for me than Alfredson, but Alfredson's been waiting longer. I think that's all that came down to. Um, every year, there's always that one guy who has been waiting that they're like, all right, we got to get him in before we forget about him. And that was Alfredson this year. Should have been McGillney. <laughs> but forgotten about McGillney several years. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I understand the case for Alfredson and I'm, I'm fine with it. I think next year. And again, Luongo and the Sedins were first time eligible this year. And I think we can all agree they were no doubters. So there was really only one spot this year. I don't think that's the case next year. So there'll be a little more opportunity. So we could see McGillney and Zetterberg next year, rightfully so for both of them. Um, obviously, um, there's the two slots for women players and Rika Salonen getting in perfectly justified. She was one of Finland's best players for seemingly ever. Don't know why the hell there wasn't a second one. Carolyn Willette. Was right there. I uh, wait. Jennifer they elected to not like not. They just said the spot. Yeah, essentially. Um, Jennifer Botterill was there. 
Um, Megan Duggan was there. Julie Chu was there. I I understand it probably had something to do with the process and I, I don't know how it exactly works, but if it's just blind ballots, you turn it in 14 of 18 have to induct. And if, you know, the women split the vote. Sure. I understand that, but get a better system then if that's the system, because this, you can't, if you're only allotting two spots for female players every year, there's already a backlog. As I just mentioned, those four, and there's going to be more eligible next year. You can't leave spots empty. Not like that. No, no, you uh, care. Especially when there's shoe ins, right? Like Carolyn will Canada's third all time score. Not like what? <laughs> Julie Chu was the U.S.'s captain for a stretch of time. There, <laughs> it seems it does seem incredibly outdated. Like they need to do something. Like you said, it's it's not going to. It's by design right now. Not going to keep up with very deserving women who should be in the hall. Yeah, it, I just I don't understand it. Like the 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 men's side of it and the builder side. Yep. Even if it wasn't exactly how I would have had it, all very understandable. We'll see what they do next year. I already know. It's not going to be Alex McGill. It will not be. Um, jumping over to a quick trade before doing overtime here. Uh, the Minnesota Wild, who have their incredibly tough cap situation coming up. They had a decision to make on Kevin Fiala, who just put up, what was it, like 85 points? 85 points in 82 games. As a 26-year-old? 25-year-old. Yep. It's going to get paid. And uh, they weren't going to be able to pay him. So what did they do? Uh, they traded him to the LA Kings in exchange for this year's 2022, this year's 2022 first round pick from LA. Um, it's 19th overall. 19th overall. And Brock Faber, right-handed defenseman. So they should get a very good prospect at 19. And Faber is a very good prospect. A little light on the return for the for a player, the caliber and age of Kevin Fiala. But given that, Minnesota did not have a whole hell of a lot of leverage here because he was due a contract and they had no room to give it. And teams knew they had to make a move so they could stand their ground. I think it was very reasonable from Minnesota's side. I think this is phenomenal for LA. I do too. Faber and in all likelihood, whoever they get at 19 are not going to be the caliber of player Kevin Fiala is. And then they immediately sign him to an eight year extension at what seems like a pretty reasonable 7.9 per year. Just under 7.875. Yeah, for a point per game player. And even if you say, well, this year was an aberration, Fiala wasn't too far off a point per game the last two years either. So seven years times 7.875 is tidy piece of work. Yeah. And that's through the rest of his prime and good years. And yeah. how old is he at expiry? 32? 32 or 33, somewhere in there. You're getting the rest of his best. And LA, man, they are. They're loading up. This is. I'd say like this is a textbook rebuild expecting the rebuttals of, oh, yeah, when you win lotteries. I mean, Quinn Byfield hasn't really done anything for them yet and doesn't look like he's going to be worth that second overall pick. And they're still looking like they're going to come out of this extremely well off. I don't want to say that they're the model of how you do this. Like there's different ways. New York has done a similar thing where they've turned it around with the help of, you know, winning lotteries. They must be nice. (laughs) Yeah, right. I don't know. It must be a different lottery than the Red Wings are in. Um, but looking at LA and, and to a degree New York, if you want to see, hey, how do you weaponize cap space and make aggressive moves to get better faster? This is the other side of that coin. 
It's not one size fits all. Some teams try this and suck and they put themselves in purgatory. Some teams try to wait it out uh, and take the aggressive slow ro- approach and then they're rebuilding for 10 years like Buffalo. There's risks to both uh, both perspectives and it's not a perfect dichotomy either. But yeah, LA has has made some aggressive moves and would I call them the, you know, a contender in the West for the Stanley Cup now? No, but well, they're probably not far off many years off of that now. They're they're making sure that the moves that they've made so far aren't in vain and they're not sliding backwards. All right. Um limited conversation there. We have to get into overtime uh longer episode because of the news. The uh, hashtag news piled up for today. So uh, we're going to get started with our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash podcast. if you want to support the show. Uh, join the Dub Dub Club. Ask your questions. Leave your comments. Uh, get professional golf advice from Evan. That one's actually not even a joke. And get access to our uh, Patreon exclusive overtimes. I know a lot of people. Featuring have, Kevin. Featuring Kevin. And my oh. shrieks of pain when I found out how much weddings cost. Uh so did Mel listen to that? Oh yeah, she did. She laughed her ass off. <laughs> so uh enjoy that. Patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. They're the reason we're able to do this show. So thank you all so much. Uh why don't we get started with Hockey Town Racing Academy? It says, How far does Shane Wright have to fall before you uh trade up to draft him? Two if New Jersey's willing. He might not that might be where he is right now. Yeah. Um uh, okay. Cody Stark says, hey, guys, can you believe Elska is one? Oh, my God. It's been one year. Since what? Since his daughter was born. Oh, wow. wow. Time is a flat circle. Yeah. Yes. Uh, time flies when you're watching a rebuild and tank, taking care of a pants shitter. <laughs> yeah, we have one in the room. Uh, anyways, do you think people take, in, uh, take too much stock into the NHL and NHL history when deciding if a player deserves Hockey Hall of Fame or not? It's the Hockey Hall, not the NHL Hall. Like, I understand it's the best league in the world and great for measuring success, but at the end of the day, it's not the NHL Hockey Hall of Fame. I mean, with the women's players, that's almost entirely international play. Um, They have elected players who have never played in the NHL, like Trechak and a bunch of the other uh, players from Russia and their Soviet dominance era. But no, I don't think they factored in enough. McGilney, but... um, they do take it into some account at least. All right. Uh, Evan's bingo card says, so Bobby Margarita's final draft rankings list uh, is out, which you've talked about. Um, but I've been thinking about the two picks I have been rumored to be available. Ottawa's seven and the Islanders 13. The players in McKenzie's list at those spots are uh, Kemmel at seven and geeky at 13 in the list. Nazar's 15 year off is 14. Korczynski is 11 and Minchikov is 12. Of those players, which would you guys be most thrilled to trade? Thrilled to trade Bertuzzi for, and what would be the package? The package need to be. Um, well, Nazer for me, obviously, as we talked about. Um, it would have to be Bertuzzi, probably plus either one of the second round picks or a pretty good prospect, I would think. Yeah, yeah. It the Bertuzzi question is so funny. I think Hronik also needs to, if, if you're, if we're throwing Bertuzzi out there, Hronik needs to be as well as someone of lesser value than Bertuzzi. I don't know if he'll have a very high reputation around the league right now. That's fair. Um, <laughs> Jigglypig says, if you guys got suspended, what would it be for? In a, in a hockey game. Oh man. I think Evan would have the most interesting answer to yeah. this one. Evan, if you were suspended in a hockey game, what would it be for? I would probably spear someone in the throat. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, that's, 
<laughs> I'd probably just snap. I, I, I probably for me, based on when I played, depending on when I played, because when I started to referee, this changed. But I just, you know, ran my mouth at the refs too much. I talk a lot on the ice and it gets me into trouble. You talk a lot. Yeah, I didn't really need to say on the ice, but for context of this question, that's that would definitely be mine. If there was anyone in a scrum I would go after, it would be Ryan. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I would just find the smallest looking guy out there and just beat the wheels off of you. Hold on. If we were if, if smallest looking. If Brad and I Eat were on the shit, ice. Tiny Brad, man. Brad is a is a triangle. <laughs> He is. He is. I was really counting on this dude's physique falling off after he had two kids, but has stayed in shape. Oh. I seriously resent you for that. Like, not even in a funny way. Like, I think you're a bad... I think you're mean... That's mean to me personally for you staying in shape. It's only getting worse for you. I'm off for the next days, 10 days. Do you know how much I'm going to the gym? I'm... Uh, I'm making up for lost time, buddy. I'm throwing stuff at your Achilles on the way out the door today. So, funny that. story. My calf from 10 days ago I was telling you about hasn't improved at all. Huh. I, I definitely did something weird to it. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, this question or comment from hashtag elite Darren Helm says, good day, dead duds. It's me, two-time Stanley Cup champion, hashtag elite mentor, hashtag elite goal scorer, and all-around good guy, Darren Helm. It's been a while since we've had a Rowan comment. Just despite noted dummy Brad, I signed with the Snow Waves, who were having leaf-level issues advancing in the playoffs and brought my cup-winning prowess speed and series winning snipes to the mile high city to show him how to climb the mountain to hockey mortality. Many are saying without me, this would not have been possible and they're correct. And there could be no debate anyways. In conclusion, get hecked, Brad. I will not be taking questions from you at this time. What I took from that comment is that Darren, he wants Darren Helm to sign with the Leafs. Well, that just sounds like blasphemy to me. If Darren Helm ever w- helps the Leafs win a cup, I don't know how to feel. I've- Lower the banner. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when you have another cup ring, keep it safe in a Stay Fresh cheese bag. The official Stanley Cup ring holder of Darren Helm, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags of Fournier Company. All right, last one here from Large, the prophet of the towering behemoth, says, uh, I was talking to Eric Jeske on Twitter, and I wanted to ask you this question. Would you trade the eighth pick for Minnesota's 19th and 24th picks? Oh, man, that's a good question. Because at 19... You could have a Frank Nazer if those rankings are to be trusted. Let's. I'm just going to go off whoever the hell I have at 19 and 24 on here just for kicks and giggles. Because um, let's look at Bob. Yes, I would do that. And who would you who would you aim to take based on who I have? Just going straight off my rankings, that would be Lambert and Ogren. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. At 19, you have to be comfortable, more comfortable taking Lambert, obviously. Well, if you have 24, there's your failsafe, right? Yeah. That's tempting. I still am scared because you, for me, for the Red Wings, I'm like, there is center talent available and I want to swing for the fences, but Brad Lambert could be the answer there. He's a swing for the fences pick. Mm-hmm. So would you do it? 19 and 24 for eighth? Um, You really got to not like anybody in that range of eight. Um, I think you got to really read the room before you make that trade. I think that's a that's a trade floor or a draft floor trade. Would I do it? I don't think so. Yeah, because that's one of those things. Like, um, oh, sorry to say, Ogren. I meant Osland, but still, yes. Um, yeah, you got to be confident that confident that you can get at least one guy who will 
perform close to a top 10 level because if you pass up on a Savoy and he does turn into someone like a Matt Barzal and then you end up with uh, a second line winger and a second pair D that's a bad trade in the end but if you're confident that hey we think there's enough talent in this draft and the gap isn't that wide yeah you, you take the extra pick for sure all right folks um that is the winged wheel podcast for this episode like we said the full draft preview is coming monday so no sunday episode this time the full draft preview is coming monday is that when we do a mock draft mock draft will be wednesday unless there's a coaching announcement in there somewhere and like we said the coaching announcement may be imminent so stay tuned if you're not already following us on twitter at winged wheel pod uh, and then follow our personal profiles as well. The, those are in our bio. Uh, follow us on any social media, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, wherever you are. And um, yeah, let's see how this next little while goes. We want to thank all of our listeners, all of you who have been leaving us ratings, iTunes, or sorry, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere. Uh, it, it really, really helps. Uh, the sponsors of this podcast, the FanDuel Sportsbook, and our name level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Ake Fur, the Stay Fresh Cheese Bag, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of the Number 69 Crying, Ryan Hannes, Banana Slam, and Jamathong, Matthew M. Rice, Brandon M., Carl Brutana, Nanaluski, Chad Jobin, Chimmy. Chad Jobin, brand new name level sponsor. Welcome, Chad, and thank you. Welcome to Dub Dub Club. Citizen High Five, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Doesn't Tuesnit, Give Blood Fight Probert, Greach, Helm was held back by Blashill, Hassam Al Qasem, I'd Leave My Wife for Cider, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, Matthew Guess, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Sean Levine, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Zach Spring, Sam Bankson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Adam Now I Finish Better Than Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landis, Babe Landiscog is a Stanley Cup champion. Ben Barron, Brian Vasha, Connor Leighton, Dave W, Evans Bankrupt Parking Garage, Evans Bingo Card, uh, Jeremy Brocker, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, Jack the Bassist, who is a brand new name level sponsor. Welcome, Jack. Is anyone honestly surprised that Ryan and Brad put together? Uh, don't. Oh, well, shouldn't have read that one. Uh, JM Rhapsody, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Justin in, the, Justin in the Angry Mob, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Maximilian Cheesebags, Papa Woody, Puck Norris, Revy DeLuca, Thick Rick, <laughs> Trevor Pevavar, Why Ryan Why, Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so very much. And, uh, Get ready for the inevitable coaching announcement, I'm sure. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.